From the Jack and Jones Shredder Studio in beautiful CCM at the University of Cincinnati, it's the Dennis Daniels Show. Tonight's guest, professional wrestler, the world warrior, Loki. Plus, John Pokemon and the Dennis Daniels Show Band. And now, here is your host. He's a 2009 BearCast Innovator of the Year, Dennis Daniels! Gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, I welcome you back to the hottest talk show segment of this year, in a year, or the year 2095, which is a long way to go, but I think we're that awesome. I am talking, of course, of none other than the Dennis Daniels Show. I am your host, the radio warrior, if you will, and BearCastRadio.com's Innovator of the Year for 2009, Dennis Daniel. Yay! And joining me as always, he is the lay cool to my cabal. The boss, the mind job, Pokemon. Chicka chicka yeah. You know, I know. I'm, I'm sorry for the leg hole reference because they annoy the crap out of both of us. It's all good. Oh gosh, it's just rewind, root talk. What? Didn't did, didn't we leave high school to get away from that kind of nonsense? Exactly. And then they make fat jokes at Mickey James. Oh, yeah. oh holy crap! Mean girls. Gosh, again, we left those in high school. Why we got to see them again? Some people just never grow up. Yes, not. But anyway, folks, today on the Dennis Daniels Show, we have got, oh my gosh, John, we got a great season finale for the Dennis Daniels Show. Really? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, our guest today is none other than professional wrestler, Low-Key. Wow. Now, if you don't know Low-Key, you might know him as the winner of WWE NXT Season 2, Caval. Yeah. And I gotta tell you something, he is a world warrior. World warrior. I have no idea what a world warrior is, but we'll have to ask him when he, yeah. when he gets out of here. I'm sure we will find out. I mean, to go on to win WWE NXT Season 2, you know, this guy has some chops. He, 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 can, he can walk up your spine, backflip, and kick you in the butt. Wow, that, I mean, sounds, that is just that is just amazing. Sounds like I would not want to cross him. Oh, you would not want to meet him in a dark alley. The one sad thing is who he was paired with as, as a pro because he's a rookie NXT rookie. Who? Like cool. Oh, nice. And, and they turned him into like they made made him carry their women's championship belts. Oh man. And and the look on his face, he's like, just kill me. Oh man. I'm not even a wrestler anymore. I'm a belt rack. Man. And they put him in a little pink T-shirt that said "Property of Lay Cool." Ouch! Why? Ouch! Wah, wah, wah. That guy could probably just jump, kick you in the head, and 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 do all these cool martial art moves. It's amazing what this guy can do. I cannot do him justice. But maybe we should get him right right now. My next guest is a professional wrestler that I think is on levels such as John Cena and Kofi Kingston, whom we both had on the show. He's amazing. He's he's been all around the world, and he's still humble as a son of a gun. And you know, he is a, a he's the first ever Ring of Honor World Champion. World Champion, nice. Wow. When it was established, he was the first World Champion, which is just amazing. He's been with the WWE. He was living in WWE in 2010. He was back in 2000 as well. 
Again, I'm not doing this guy any good just talking about him. So let's get him out right here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one, the only, Mr. Low Welcome to the Dennis Daniel Show. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, nice to meet you guys. Oh, it's 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 a pleasure. It's an honor. I gotta tell you, I, I I love you. You you are just amazing. You know, seeing you in in the ring in action is probably one of the only reasons I actually watch NXT. <laughs> Much appreciated. It's I mean just just the way you just all these amazing moves. And of course, this is this is not just not just from NXT. I've seen all kinds of video on YouTube. Your work with with JAPW, with um, TNA, with the Ring of Honor. Of, of course, all your matches around the world they're just amazing. But we'll get into that a little bit later. So I guess a great place to start would be what got you interested in professional wrestling. Um, I began early in my life being introduced to that by my family. Um, pro wrestling has always been a big part of my family. I actually had a second cousin who used to be a professional wrestler in Gulf Coast Championship Wrestling back during the 70s and 80s. So I guess technically I'm a second generation wrestler. Um, so I mean, it was a it was a mainstay in my family when I was a kid. So every Saturday night or whenever they were giving it, we used to watch WWF. I remember going as far back as WWWF before Vince took it over. And, you know, that was a big part of, you know, growing up. All the kids, all the boys, and the girls, for that matter, were introduced to it. And uh, it was a big part of the family. Yeah, like, like this is me and John. Actually, my brother got me interested in professional wrestling. It is true. Back in back in the days of WCW. Yep. Yes. It, it, it's cool that you, that you could see yourself a second-generation superstar, as long as you didn't have to join the legacy. What kind of training did you have to undergo to become a professional wrestler? Um, I began training as a professional wrestler in 1997. Uh, at the same time, I began martial arts training in Aikido, the discipline made more uh, famous by Steven Seagal. And at the same time, I trained in pro wrestling with a member of my family, as well as trained with two members of my family in Aikido training. So it was a good, healthy environment for me to train and cross-train. And a lot of the techniques that you see in the ring are a result of my Aikido training. All right. Now, you began in 1998 with the Jersey All-Pro Wrestling, where you would go on to win both the JAPW Heavyweight and the Light Heavyweight Championships. Now, I don't know, did you win them both and have to defend them both at the same time? Um, actually, that's the incorrect information you have. I began with the Long Island Wrestling Federation in 1998. October 10th, 1998, for the Junkyard Dog Memorial Show was my first event. Um, Jersey All Pro Wrestling was my second company that I that I started out in the area with. Um, when I began, when I became the the double champion, I did have to defend both championships on the same event several times. And I and I've seen it. I've seen in WWE a lot. You know, a lot of champions, just like like the um, we can't mention him, but he was a world champion and a world tag team champion. Had to defend the belt about two times in the same night. Is it really more difficult than it is one just one? Well, traditionally, um, any company that has anyone represent them as a champion has uh, the person themselves, the individual, has a heavier workload than anyone. 
and it's aside from training, doing media stuff, um, charities, and all kinds of stuff. That's that's a heavier workload than a normal person would have otherwise. Now combine that with the championship atmosphere, championship matches. The the performances are a lot higher than your normal exhibition matches. Yes, sir. and with uh, training for championship matches, you know you you have to up your game depending on who's your your challenger. Now, if you have to double that, it becomes an incredible workload on the individual. And, it, you know, I wouldn't recommend it for, for many guys. You look at boxing, uh, guys like uh, Pacquiao. I mean, he, he's just absorbing championships through different weight classes. But at the same time, he has to make defenses. And UFC, you have Anderson Silva, who's the middleweight champion, although he does fight on and off in the, mid, in the light heavyweight division. You know, you're just increasing your workload. And traditionally, championship matches are on another level than what you traditionally see in exhibition matches. So there's not only just training to compete in the ring, along with the regular training and then the championship training and then the, the media appearances. I yeah. understand how that would how that would. I, I got a, I got a sore back just thinking about it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a responsibility that you have to take on as a competitor, and I think a lot of people they they misinterpret that with you know companies like the WWE because it is more sports entertainment as opposed to sports. And they lose sight of the fact that champions have heavier workloads than everyone else on the roster, whoever they may be. Um, and, you know, competitors usually, you know, they, they step their game up on a whole different level than anyone else in regards to their particular championship matches. Like I remember when I fought Kenta, in Ring of Honor in 2005, I was in training for about a month and a half. I put on several pounds um, of weight just because I knew what was coming in the championship match for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship. Well, now, have you had to make any real sacrifices in order to chase your dream of being a wrestler? Yeah, I've sacrificed just about everything in order to be a wrestler. Um, I was fresh out of high school. When I started my my professional wrestling training, um, matter of fact, no, I was still in high school. I was a senior in uh, in high school in North Bergen High School in New Jersey. Uh, when I began my training, when I turned pro, I was already out of high school. But trying to focus on training, you know, you, you have to sacrifice the majority of your social life um, if you want to be serious about this. If you want to really do well, you have to dedicate a lot of time to your training. And I think as as evident of my training, I was able to succeed and develop a name for myself much faster than a lot of other people were traditionally. Um, I think at one point back in when I was in pro wrestling, Noah, my training days were, I think, five and a half hours in total in regards to ring training or uh, training in a dojo. Combine that with weight training. All right now, I, I know that you've not only wrestled in the United States, but you've also wrestled around the world, like in Japan, which you've given yourself the uh, appropriate nickname, the World Warrior. Now, how did you develop that nickname? How did that nickname come to be? Well, it was uh, it was an offshoot of the World Warrior label from Street Fighter, the Ryu character, simply because the the story behind the Ryu character is he's always in search of the next challenge. He's always in search for the greater challenge. Um, even at the end of the game when he defeats M. Bison, he, he moves on 
and he's he's still searching for the next challenge, still searching for something to make him better. Um, just as a competitor, I'm taking on anyone on the planet in order to solidify myself as one of the, the best in the world. And I'm not backing down to anybody. I don't care what size they are, what weight class they think they're in. It doesn't bother me. I'm a competitor, so I will adapt to the situation, and I will prove that you know I'm a world-class competitor in regards to professional wrestling. Yeah, well, you could take me on, but uh, it'd be more like just kicking a giant beanbag. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'd be an easy target. Now, you did not debut in WWE in 2010 last year. You were actually competing in 2000 during when the Federation years when it, mm-hmm. when there was jacked and, and WWF metal, and you competed against likes like Raven or um, Johnny Polo or Crash Holly and even Christian. Uh, what was yes. it like competing in the then World Wrestling Federation? It was much different than what it is now. Back then, you had a lot of accomplished veterans who were in the company. So just the overall atmosphere was much more different, I think much more mature, much more direct. There was a lot more direction in the company. Um, Plus, you're only as good as your competition. So at that time, competition was extremely high. That was on the, the tail end of the Attitude Era. So, you know, you had guys on top at the time, like Kurt Angle, Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Taker, and then under them, you had guys who would end up replacing them, like Cena, Orton, Edge. I'm sorry, that was a 2002, but I competed all the way up until 2002 for them. Um, Jericho as well. So it was completely different as far as the atmosphere went. You had a lot of more oversight from the older generation of wrestlers, a lot more direction with the company, and I think because... I treated it with such respect. I got a lot of good experience coming out of it at that time um, because they, they did not have to show me any respect, only being uh, a professional wrestler for several years at that time um, and fairly unknown because of my work ethic, the fact that I would train hard before events and they basically had to kick me out of the ring to prepare the arena for people to come in. You know, I think that carried as well as my reputation from outside and, you know, my experience overall was extremely beneficial for me to, you know, get better and excel in my profession. I've just seen all these videos on YouTube, these old videos of, of matches with you and with Christian and Ese Rios and, and even Raven and even the late Crash Holly. They were just amazing. You know, do you think that WWE is lacking something nowadays that it used to have in the like the in the Austin era, the the Rock era, that that maybe some of the of the of the greats now like John Cena, Alberto Del Rio, and and the Miz are not are not showing. Um, I don't think it's fair to compare them to the the men who were in the Attitude era, only because those guys had those guys were already veterans with worldwide experience before arriving to the company and a lot of the guys who are on top now they don't necessarily have worldwide experience you know outside of the company to bring to the table um you know cena he's been within the system for such a long time and although he's on top he hasn't been to japan away from the wwe he hasn't been to mexico away from the wwe there's a lot of experience that can be gained by you know, competing in different different territories such as Mexico, Europe, and Japan. Um, nowadays, it's much more difficult because the profession as a whole is suffering because of the economy and other factors. So a lot more a lot of people aren't willing to sacrifice 
in order to gain that experience. Um, so I think right now it's unfair to compare them because they're in a completely different era than the guys were like during the attitude era. So it's, you know, you, you always have to take into consideration what factors contribute to their success or their lack of success. Um, you competed in the Ring of Honor and debuted at its first show in 2002, where you would go on to become the first Ring of Honor champion. Uh, what was it like? What was the feeling after you had won the first Ring of Honor championship and competed with the greats now like AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and Brian Danielson, who many know as the WWE United States Champion Daniel Bryan? It was uh, well, the the match itself had Doug Williams, the anarchist who's in TNA currently. It had Spanky, who's also uh, who goes by Brian Kendrick, and the fallen angel Christopher Daniels in the the one hour, the sixty minute Iron Man match. Now, up until that point, I hadn't competed against guys like AJ, Samoa Joe, and so on. But from that moment, that's when I had the opportunity to be in the ring and compete against those men. The match itself, when it was finally over, it was just a sense of relief. I was so exhausted. I think I shed literally 10 pounds or more because of the environment. It was the end of July. The humidity was extremely high as well as the temperature. Combine that with the the amount of people who were in the building in such a small venue, us being active, you know, and, and competing with one another. The the heat was so intense. You you could just see the sweat flying off of us, you know, throughout the match. And at one point, I tweaked my knee. I believe it was my left knee. At one point, maybe early on to midway through the match, where I had to remove my tape from one of my wrists and try to tie up my leg, you know, just try to try to resecure it for me to compete even further into the match. Um, it was definitely intense. I mean, these guys were fighting hard. The the environment itself was definitely not something that you would recommend. <laughs> I guess to to be healthy. Um, well, when they say yeah. that you leave it all in the ring, you almost literally leave it all in the ring. It, just about, yeah. Any judge of your story. Now, yeah, it, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say I, I can agree with that statement. I mean, there was there was nothing left. I think in all four of us, including the referee, who was the fifth man in that ring. I mean, I don't think any of us had anything left after that match. Now, you competed in total nonstop action, which, by the way, lockdown is coming next month to the U.S. Bank Arena, for those who are interested, where you would go on to win the X Division Championship and the NWA World Tag Team Championship. Uh, what was it like competing in TNA, and uh, how did it compare to competing in the Ring of Honor or the WWE at the time? At the time, it was another new stage for younger guys to perform on. At the time, 2002, I believe it was June 19th, 2002, was when they debuted myself, AJ Styles, Jerry Lynn, against the Flying Elvises of uh, Jorge Estrada, Sonny Siaki, and Jimmy Yang. Um, we kicked off the very first event with the very first match. I think the idea was to put the company on the map by showcasing its talent. I mean, they gave variety with a lot of the former WCW and WWF wrestlers, um, but they showcased more of the younger guys. And I think because of that, it, it gave a shot in the arm to the profession and put the company on the map, even to the point where they were main eventing us in, in different uh, different events. Um, I became the, the X Division champion for the first time after wrestling AJ Styles and Jerry Lynn in a three-way match. 
and I became the NWA Tag Team Champion with uh, uh, Elix Skipper and Christopher Daniels um, several times, actually. And just it was another stage for the young guys to be showcased. And I think when it was NWA TNA, they did a great job of showcasing the younger guys. I mean, they introduced to a national level uh, the Amazing Red, the Spanish announced team. Um, myself, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, Jerry Lynn, all for the very first event, um, or second event, I'm sorry. They also had uh, the four-way match that involved myself, Jerry Lynn, AJ Styles, and Psychosis. You were seeing brand-new matchups that you wouldn't see otherwise in other areas. So they were giving you know, a variety for an event, but they were also giving a lot of new stuff as well that hadn't been seen up until that point. And I, I think that's what gave it a really good chance to, to start off, which was showcasing young, fresh talent that was exciting. Do you think with a lot of shows like WWE, they they maybe focus more on, on the hype superstars than the, the young talent? Because I know there's one guy in the WWE, Evan Bourne, they seem to overshadow. And he's got a lot of potential, a lot of talent, a lot of charisma. But maybe they're 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 hyping like guys like Cena and The Miz and Orton too much with all the media influence. That maybe some of these guys are are getting overlooked. Well, that's just that's the same as any company. You know, you, you take care of the guys who make the most money for you first. And everyone else is secondary, if not further <laughs> further down on the list. So, I mean, just from a business standpoint, and people forget that this is a profession, this is a, a, a business that in order to function, you need to generate money. You have to protect your cash cows. Um, the Miz right now and Cena, those are some of your top two guys. So you want to protect them, especially... They're still recognized as younger generation with guys like Taker, Shawn Michaels, The Rock, Austin. All those guys are recognized as the further generation. They're not going to be as available. So you want to protect the guys who are generating the most revenue for you first. Guys like Evan Bourne, I mean, it's understandable that people may feel that he's being overlooked. It's just unfortunately because this is a money-generating profession, money is the bottom line. It's not necessarily talent, skill whatever you may think, money is the bottom line. So it's going to be unfair for people to get overlooked when, you know, the audience, the people who are paying this money for this product to run, you know, they're not getting a chance to see these people perform if they have a high level of skill and they're exciting. Um, but just that's just the nature of how the profession is run. It's not run on skill. It's run on money. So, that's you know, I guess that can be a clarification of that question. Now, going back to the experience around the world, you competed in Japan where you would win the International Junior Heavyweight Championship in 2002, and in 2008 you won the International Wrestling Grand Prix Junior Heavyweight Championship from Tiger Mask V. Is there really any difference competing overseas than competing with the U.S.? Is the audience bigger? Is the atmosphere just more electric? Is there any real difference? Because pro wrestling in the United States is recognized first and foremost as sports entertainment that's always uh, it's always seen as a negative it's not an attraction because people the first thing out of a person's mouth is going to be oh you do that fake stuff whereas in Japan every wrestler in any major company has been recruited from another field um, to give you an example pro wrestling NOAA which I wrestled for from 2004 to 2006 I didn't know this until my final tour when we were in the judo hall and I found out that 90 to 95% of the roster were all black belts in judo. 
and other guys were recruited from sumo. Other guys were recruited from baseball. Other guys were recruited from amateur wrestling. The current GHC champion for Pro Wrestling Noah was a three-time national champion in amateur wrestling for the Army. So, I mean, their recruitment process is they're going after, you know, legit athletes and accomplished athletes in other fields. Um, And pro wrestling in the United States is not as organized as it used to be in the past. So now you see a lot more guys that you wouldn't even look twice upon and consider them an athlete in the first place. So it's a difference in, in the recruitment process in order to become a pro wrestler. Now, the performance process is a lot different over there as well. The culture is respect is based off of respect, based off of business. You can see the class system as far as how people are treated because of their experience over others. Um, even just case, case in point in New Japan Pro Wrestling, Yuji Nagata is a top guy in New Japan Pro Wrestling, but he is outclassed by someone like Koji Kanemoto because he's from an older generation. So they still have that system over there. Um, the atmosphere is completely different. You don't deal with a lot of sarcasm and cynicism as you do over here in the United States because there's also so many more avenues to captivate people's attention um, as there is in Japan. But, you know, it's more like the United States wants that quick fix of impress me now or I'm going to go on to something else whereas the Japanese culture and fans are a lot more patient and they appreciate competition in a sports atmosphere more so than a sports entertainment atmosphere. Well, it would seem that if there's a, a guy trying to get his name out there that maybe, you know, doesn't maybe wants to appreciate the craft more than the quick rise to fame, maybe should maybe look into going over to Japan and competing for them. Well, that's the that's the problem. There's a lot of guys who talk about wanting to go over there but they're not willing to go over there and earn it. There's very few guys can survive the training that's involved over there. The young boy system or the the apprentice system is a lot different, even though it's a it's a you know I guess a traditional sense of you know you're working underneath someone and you have to earn your way from the ground up. You have to show them that you want this, which means you have to show them you're willing to go through a lot in order to be a success. United States, you find very few people who are willing to do that because the culture as a whole wants everything quickly. They don't want to, to they don't want to put time into success. They want that quick fix now, and it's unfortunate because it's indicative of what people see. You know, in Japan, you have accomplished athletes who are putting in hours and hours of training, whereas in the United States, you have people who look like they're barely out of, off of the street. You know, with cut-off T-shirts and, and shorts, and, you know, they don't even look like wrestlers. They look like, you know, kids or teenagers or just, you know, just people off the street trying to perform in a ring, and their technique is poor. You know, they have no understanding of how to accomplish a lot of things inside of that ring. And on top of that, you have to be entertaining to someone who's paying a ticket. So there's a lot of factors taken in, into consideration when you want to be a pro wrestler. So anyone who's looking into doing that, rather than just doing it, you should be thinking about how to do it correctly because that's when you start getting noticed. It's not just doing it just for the sake of doing it. Like right now, I think it's unfortunate because a lot of people look at the WWE and they see that Cena makes all this money. They look at Undertaker, he makes all this money. They look at all these guys, they're millionaires, 
but they put a lot of work into their craft. But they're driven by money and not driven by perfecting the craft. So you can see the difference in somebody who actually does care about their craft and performs at a high level, like Rey Mysterio, as opposed to somebody who doesn't. And they're just driven by money, and they get exposed fairly easily once they're seen on TV. Yeah, it's a real shame that, that you know, back in the early 80s, it was not just all about, I got more money than you. We leave the, like Jim Cornette said, leave it to the hat check girl. It's about the craft, the, the talent, the dedication, the sacrifice, you know, all these guys that are, are willing to bleed on that mat, to break backs, break their bones in their careers, seems to be slowly be fading away, and we're getting more of a, of a, just a, a media circus with it. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate, because the thing is, you can tell if somebody's doing something really well, because it'll get a response out of the person who's watching it. You know, I like using Anderson Silva as an example. He's a martial artist. He's not an MMA guy. Him knocking out Peter Belfort at the last UFC with a front snap to the face was martial arts beauty because he's a striker. He's a multi king. He's a kicker. I mean, that thing was right on point. It was an example of him perfecting his craft. Whereas you can go to, I guess, like, you know, one of the lesser known MMA uh, events and you can see the guys aren't at that level. And their performances are not, you know, they're not the same. Now, last year you returned to the WWE on WWE NXT Season 2 under the alias of Caval, where you would go on to win Season 2 and compete on SmackDown. Congratulations, by the way. Now, yep. many agree that you were misused after showing a lot of potential on NXT, and you were even awarded the Wrestling Observer Newsletter's Most Underrated Wrestler of 2010. How do you feel about that statement, and uh, what is your opinion on how World Wrestling Entertainment used you? The, the statement on being the wrestler, the most underrated wrestler? Yeah, well, how how they use you, how you were, is my just my opinion. Um, yeah, you were you were these you were doing all these great matches, you know, and then you kind of ended up as a uh, as a as a low carter. Well, the thing is, I mean, I'm not a product of that company, and there's only one person who says yes or no to what occurs within that ring or what occurs in that company. So, I mean, all the attention is usually misdirected. Um, as far as the way I was presented, you know, I, I thought it was actually a simple scenario. I'm accomplished in this particular field. I perform at an extremely high level. I don't waste people's time. I don't insult their intelligence with my performances. And I had the support of the WWE Universe in order to succeed by example of being voted as the winner of the season. Yeah. But then that was it. There was nothing further for me. And, you know, the matchmakers, whoever they may be, they had something in me. I came to work every day. Anyone who's seen my work all the way back to 2000 for the WWF, through Ring of Honor, through TNA, through any of my companies in Japan, through my second run in TNA, through my second run in WWE, my work ethic has never changed. Even when I was in a developmental system, which I, you know, I took as a, as a challenge when I was down there I made everyone step up their game because I wasn't going to play with any of their guys so you have a guy who's a workhorse you have a guy who's fairly young by comparison to that roster and you got a guy who can hang with your main eventers but nothing is done about it so you know something's not right you know I laid it all out in the ring 
I laid it all out in the ring when I was talking on the microphone during NXT. Still no reward. So, you know, you need to address that attention to one person and one person only. Just like in the military. You know, if there's a weakness in the chain of command, you go to the top and address it with them. Well, I still feel that, you know, you had all this potential, all this energy, charisma, all these high-flying moves. These guys, this is my problem with, with, with WWE nowadays. They advertise more on the storylines and the rivalries and the, and the basic, I hate you and you hates me. You focus more on the storyline and not enough on the in-ring action. You did all these amazing matches, all these great matches with, with guys like Husky Harris, Michael McGillicuddy. You, you even competed against The Miz, and I thought it was a pretty good match. You went on to win Season 2 of NXT. The, the, the fans loved you, and, and then what happens? You get sent to SmackDown, and you end up as, as a bottom carter, and you're just and they're using you to, to push guys like Drew McIntyre, which no, no disrespect to Drew McIntyre. He's got a lot of potential if they're really pushing him like this. But I think that it's a, it's a shame and a spit in the eye that you leave your heart and your soul. You've been all around the world. You compete with different companies. You've got a lifetime of experience that some of these guys will never, ever, ever really even see. And you're basically the whole package and, and what fans want to see in WWE just, they blow that off. Well, it's a difference in uh, business direction. If I don't fit the business plan, there's no sense for me to be involved in the first place. This is a profession that you need your body in order to survive. So, you know, if I don't fit their business plan, there's no need for me to be there in the first place, and that came to pass on the, at the end of the year. So, you know, I could understand people's frustrations. You know, I was honest about what I did, and it was clear to me that they were pretty honest about what their intentions were. Well, I mean, if, if you both agreed on it, then I understand why on December 23rd, WWE reported that you had been released from your contract with them. And I got to know, was the release on good terms? And is there a possibility we'll see the World Warrior back again in, in WWE if they ever decide that they, they need someone? They need someone. Who, I don't know who would want someone like you, a guy who's had world experience, multiple championships, and you're not just a great computer. You also have great mic skills, and you're and you're the only guy on there who's no longer going around with a dorky catchphrase like "awesome." Right? And, yeah. and even John Cena, we've had him on the show. He's a great guy. He shows a lot of dedication to WWE. But y you know, even the "you can't see me, you can't see me" and the purple T-shirts and the "come get some" C Nation. You know, you offer something that hasn't been seen in WWE in a, in, in in years. And the fact that that's not marketable is what has me pulling my hair, John pulling his hair, and a lot of wrestling fans pulling their hair. Well, it, again, if you're paying for high quality, you want to see high quality. But if I'm not in the business plan of the company, then there's only so much I can do about it. You know, I can understand the frustration from the viewers because I share the same frustration. MVP shared the same frustration. We wanted to contribute. We wanted to contribute at a high level, but the company had other plans. So, you know, it's kind of like you can only you can only fight so much before it's like you just think to yourself that, you know, there's not going to be a positive outcome to this. So just move on. Everyone moves on with their business, and, you know, that's it. I've had a good relationship with the company the entire time I was there. They didn't mistreat me in any way, shape, or form that I can recall, aside from, you know, the the way everything was arranged on screen. 
but you know I can't really say anything bad about them because of my experience, the way that they conducted business with me was always straight and to the point. So, you know, I had a good relationship and we had a good discussion on the way things ended. So, you know, time will tell if we redevelop that business relationship. So, you know, that's all I can say about that at this point. Well, all I can say low key is that if it does come down that they need they need fans that that want you back Right now, you got two guys here in the studio that do want to see the return of the World Warrior in WWE. Now, we got to know what is next for for the World Warrior low key. What is next? What's the next big thing? Uh, well, right now, I'm on a on a, a a mindset of redeveloping myself. You know, jokingly, you said this a couple of days ago to someone else in an interview that I was banished to the land of make believe because it's recognized as sports entertainment. It's no longer sports. So. You know, that's a completely different animal by comparison to what I've normally done throughout my career. Loki has been off the market for the past two years or two and a half years. So now I have to reintroduce myself to the new generation of independent or freelance wrestlers, um, freelance companies. I would like to go back to Japan and reassert myself as a top threat to any of the competitors over there. Um, I believe... I'll be challenging who's currently the IWGP champion um, in May when New Japan comes over to the United States. Um, that's if he has a championship. I think the match is just scheduled as a singles match. I don't know if they if he'll have a championship by then. Hopefully he does because of the championship that I lost my final day in Japan when I defended it against Tiger Mask at the Tokyo Dome in 2009. Um, so right now it's a redevelopment stage as far as reintroducing low-key low-key brand, my style of professional wrestling, back to a new market, new generation, new companies. I'm, I'm eager to, to explore more of the world. I just traveled to uh, Turkey around a month ago on February 12th. I was able to compete over there for Turkish power wrestling. I'll be wrestling in Malta on April 16th. Um, I'm, just, I'm eager to get back into the realm of competing at a high level with like-minded individuals and professionals. At the same time, I'm also taking an assessment of the current state of pro wrestling. The WWE is a completely different monster simply because it produ its production is on a completely different scale than anything on the planet. TNA, their production is different than anything else on the planet. So independent wrestling or freelance wrestling, freelance fighting, you know, I have to assess for myself you know, what's positive for me to do. You know, a lot of people have been asking me about doing seminars or even opening up a facility for myself. You know, I have all these all these things on the table, but it just takes time. I'm assessing the nature of the profession as a whole and, you know, just trying to reintroduce low-key since he's been away for two years or so. And I think many fans will wait for that day that low-key comes back and says, hey, I don't got to follow the rules of Cena and The Miz and Orton. I am my own man. I am the freaking world warrior. You, you know, you, you, and you're going everywhere. Maybe you should change that to Earth Warrior. Because you're, you're going to dominate the globe. It's gonna, you're, you're going everywhere. You, you should take a little flag. Put a turkey? Been there. T uh, Canada? Been there. You know, just, just maybe the globe warrior. Because you're, you're going everywhere. <laughs> well, that's what I'd want to do. I want to compete more internationally as well. Become an international sensation. 
that sounds like the way that, that, that wrestling should be nowadays. Hopefully we've gotten a lot of your fans, you know, wondering, hey, how can I find out what's next for the big world warrior? How can we um, follow you? Do you have a social networks or a YouTube channel or something like that? Yes, I do. I've actually, from something I, I didn't do in the past, because I was more on a traditional route of just working hard to develop my name value, now I'm involved more in the social network. Um, I have a Twitter account, which is One World Warrior. So you can follow me on Twitter through that, which I do actually have several projects in, in play. I have one currently about uh, fans who love to to create graphics, draw, sketch, whatever. You know, they can they can uh, design my next T-shirt in a, in a contest right now. Um, it's called the Loki custom design contest which is being presented by classic screen printing in uh, in florida and uh that's that's available right now uh, i have a facebook page under low-key l-o-w space k-i so i mean i'm getting more involved and in, you know making myself a little more accessible than i did in the past um to, to again further the the low-key brand and to do some some really cool stuff i've actually been contacted and i'm in a working relationship right now with Hound Comics in uh, the Brimstone and the Border Hounds animated series um, that's in production where I'll be the voice of one of the main characters. So there's, i got a lot of things going on, but right now I'm, I'm slowly introducing myself into the social network and getting a feel on how it really works. Well, it sounds like you've just got a, a whirlwind of things going on. Yes, I do. So, so um, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say to your to the listeners to to the world that y you've been wanting to say for a long time? Well, as always, thank you for the support. Um, I'm one of the, I guess I'm I'm rare in thought on how I approach my profession, and uh, you know I I look forward to to continuing to entertain with my performances, my competitions, my style of wrestling. Um, just with every given opportunity that I get, you know, I try to make sure that, you know, people who do witness my style of, uh, of my profession, that, you know, I leave them with a lasting memory. Um, I treat it with high regard. I treat it with high respect. And hopefully that, that comes across in my performances. Um, right now, independent wrestling needs the support of, you know, of, you know, the general, general public. It's, uh, it's not doing so well. So myself, guys like Sanjay Dutt and Jay Lethal, um, you know, other members of the younger generation of wrestlers, you know, we're really strong advocates of independent wrestling simply because that's where you will find the true stars of tomorrow. Um, you know, you, you can't just make stars out of a cookie-cutter scenario. It's not going to work that way. And more often than not, it's a failure. So... You know, right now, please support independent wrestling. And, you know, I look forward to, to being the prime example of why, you know, it's it's a great starting ground for the stars of tomorrow. Now, before we go, I just got one final question. This has been bugging me since NXT. What was okay. it like working with Michelle McCool and Layla? Were they really that annoying? I grew up all around girls, so they weren't really as annoying as I thought they would be. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 I just seen you with that belt. It's like, kill me. I'm not well, a wrestler anymore. I'm a belt rack. 
Well, at the same time, it was a it was a test from the company to see how I would respond, um, and you know I think it was uh, they were just doing it to see what they could get get away with with me. Yeah. As far as them personally with me, I got along great with them, which I thought was evident because they're not fan favorites on SmackDown, but they were on NXT. So I think our chemistry actually developed over the season, and it actually, I think it worked out well in the long run. Yeah, well, j- just seeing them, you should have won some kind of award just for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am a very patient man. Uh, more patience than I, my friend. Well, anyway, Loki, thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to have a link to all your all your social networks on our website at altitexplosion.com. It has been an honor. You know what? I, I hope that one day, one day we will see you at the top of the world, Mr. Warrior. Bye. Much appreciated. All right, so we'll catch you around. This is the Dennis Daniel Show. Until next time, good night, Smokey.